Well, I'm delighted to be here with you tonight. Why don't you open your Bibles up to uh, John chapter 6. Appreciate you being here this evening. See some new faces. Glad to have you with us. And, of course, we're in revival here and just seeking together, and it's fantastic. I want to share with you tonight uh, out of a brand new passage that we've been studying. And it's just fantastic material and good truth. It has to do tonight with, uh, with fear. I, I hate being afraid. Um, I'll be really honest. I'll be really just personal with you. I, uh, I was a little kid in growing up. Now, I'm kind of a big ogre now, I guess. Uh, but growing up in high school, I, I matured late. Uh, I was a late bloomer, which was hard in my school. I didn't uh, go through the, the maturation process, the maturity process, until I was a junior. So I was a little boy among kid, uh, you know, men in my school. And uh, because of that and how small I was and, and uh, the difficult home life that I have, I lived in fear. I, I oftentimes wondered if I didn't have like ulcers and stomach problems and that kind of stuff because I, I, just, I lived in fear all the time. Uh, there was a, I lived in a, a small community. We went to a, a farm town. My school, was, I graduated with, uh, uh, what is it, 91 people in my high school class. And that's, you know, maybe uh, barely pushing 400 in the school and not even that, probably closer to 350. And it just, I lived in fear all the time. Uh, my father was a, a former Marine and he was a very violent man. And uh, he abused my mom and just, just you know, of course, my mom was tough, too, <laughs> uh, you know, and I just, I feared my dad. I lived in fear. And as I grew older and as I, as I got out into the world, I went into the Marine Corps, I just, there's all, I just, I kept running into fear all my life. As I become a Christian, uh, I still face fear from time to time. And the passage that, and I've never really dealt with it. I mean, I've not really known how to deal with it. We've been in John, and none of the passages we were studying really dealt with it. But in John chapter 6, the issue of fear is dealt with, and it's fantastic, and I want to share it with you tonight. It's a phenomenal truth, and I can't tell you, I mean, I cannot tell you the impact this has made on my life, and I trust that, uh, uh, I trust he's going to bring truth into your life. It's going to radically shape the way you handle fear. Uh, the passage I want to look with you at this evening is verses 16 down through verse 21, and I want to have you really moving through a few passages of Scripture, but I really feel that it's important uh, that you look at those yourself. I want to read through some of those with you. I want to read our passage. It's kind of lengthy. Normally we deal with just a verse or two, but I want to read through uh, uh, John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. I'm reading out of the NIV. This is how it reads. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. John chapter 6, uh, we just entered into this book just some months ago, and uh, it's divided up uh, in, in general in terms of uh, three basic sections, kind of how we're, we're slicing this up. The first 15 verses cover the first section, and that's the details of what took place 
at this miracle setting. Okay, it's actually a sign. It's the feeding of the 5,000. It's a very familiar, uh, it's a very familiar miracle. It's, it's told, of course, in all four Gospels. Uh, the details of that are the first uh, 15 verses. The second section is our passage, verses 16 through 21. And this uh, section really does a couple different things. It links together two physical locations within the chapter. Of course, one is here on one side of the lake, and then as you transition from verses 16 through 21, as the disciples get into a boat, Jesus meets them, and they go to the other side of the lake. There you find the other setting. So you have two different settings, one on either side of the lake. By the time you come into verse 22 and you extend through the end of the chapter, you have Jesus who is elaborating on and giving content to the real core meaning of the sign, the feeding of the 5,000 itself, what that meant for those who partook of it. So it's powerful. I want to look with you at, uh, look with you tonight at these first 16 verses, but I really want to focus in on, and again, it's the context of the passage that's really going to help us, but I really want to center on just one word in this, in this passage, and it's actually, it's one Greek word, but it's translated in two, at least in the NIV, it's be afraid. And in fact, you could probably lump in, don't be afraid. And there are really three things that I want to look at with you, uh, look at with you uh, concerning this word. The first is, what is fear? The second is, how does Jesus respond to fear in our life? And the third is, how do we respond to Jesus when he responds to fear in our life? Okay, three things. Three things. Number one, what's fear? Okay. Uh, how does Jesus respond to fear in our life? And then how do we respond to Jesus when he responds to fear in our life? Okay. Fear. Uh, the Greek word for fear uh, comes from, it actually comes from uh, 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 the first example I could find of it was in the, it's, it's a name for a Greek god, Phobos. And in fact, in our word, uh, our word in our passage is the Greek word phobio, which is where we get our word phobia. Phobia. My mom, uh, she has a fear of spiders, arachnophobia. I've got a fear of my wife when she's angry, carindophobia. Okay? It's, a, it's phobia. It's, it's a fear. Okay? Uh, the Greek word uh, uh, phobos is the word, the noun for that, and phobio is the verb for that. Phobia. We talk about that. We know what phobia is. Uh, Alexander the Great uh, worshipped a god called phobos. Phobia. He worshipped a god called phobos. And he worshipped this God and would sacrifice to this God so that this God would strike fear into the hearts of his enemies. So when he would go into a conquer a land, he would sacrifice and he worshipped this God because he wanted everybody to be absolutely terrified of him. Phobos, it's that word. It's interesting that it's used uh, throughout the scriptures. And when you look this word up in a, in a lexical definition, it's a Greek lexicon, and you look up the definition for this word, it tells you that phobos is this. Phobia is this. Phobia, it describes... A man's reaction to his encounter with a force. Okay? Phobia describes, okay, that feeling of fear, phobia, describes a man's reaction to his encounter with a force. Okay? And really the idea is, is that his future is uncertain. Now, that's really general uh, in terms of a force, uh, the reaction that I have to that force. That force could be a human being. That force could be an animal. That, that force could be a wind. A tornado, a storm, it could be heights, okay? Whatever the fear is, it's an outside force, it's something that's greater than I am that makes my future unknown. That's that word, phobia. And it's used all over the scriptures, and I'm going to give you a couple examples of it, because there are different forms of this force, this outside force, that are used in scripture. And I really found it interesting how broad the word is. One example of the word 
phobia and how it affects people uh, is in Matthew chapter 28. I'd like you to turn there with me if you'd be willing. An example of this fear. This word is primarily used in two different ways. The context in which we're using, or we're looking at it, is the outside force that causes being afraid. Now, there is an outside force that causes a, a, a sense of respect and honor. That's also fear. We're to fear the Lord. Okay? It's respect and honor. But in our passage, it primarily is, is dealing with this fear, this anxiety, this terror. In fact, I found it interesting, in secular Greek, you can actually translate this word, run away. Okay? It scares you to death. Absolutely terrified. And on a broad spectrum of it, okay? Spontaneous fear, terror, what have you. And it's used in several different ways in the scriptures. In Matthew chapter 20, uh, 28, it's a really cool scene. Uh, beginning at verse 4, and really I'll begin at verse 1. But this is the scene. Uh, it says, After the Sabbath, at the dawn of uh, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. Now get the scene. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Here's the scene. Okay? You have this violent earthquake and the earthquake is a direct result of this angel descending. Can you get this scene? This angel descends. There's this violent earthquake. He comes down. He walks over this tomb, uh, this, this, the tomb and of course the, the, the stone that's in front of the tomb took several men. It was a huge stone. But this angel grabs that thing and just pitches it over there, and he goes down and he sits on it. Okay? That's who this is. Now, look at the response, this force that's in this angel. Okay? Look at the response of the guards to this. Verse 3. Give some content to him. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so phobia, that's our word, the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Means they passed out. <laughs> they fainted. Okay? This, the example that's given here, this is a fear of violence. Okay? This is a fear in terms of a physical threat. You have a, these guards are guarding the tomb and you have an angel of the Lord that descends. You have a massive earthquake. Can you picture this scene? He comes over, he grabs this stone, he tosses it over there, he goes down and sets on it and says, hey, what's up? And the disciples, and the disciples, they would be too, but the, uh, the soldiers were absolutely so scared that they lost control of their bodily functions and they passed out. Okay? One example of fear. Now, I don't know about you, but man, I lived there. <laughs> uh, a, a fear of, of physical force. We travel on the road and, and some of the towns we stay in, uh, you know, there's always a, there's a, there's always a, sometimes a fear of, uh, uh, at least in my life, of physical force. We were at a church up in, just as a side note, I was at a church, we was at a church in Queens for five months. And, uh, my wife and I, this was before we had children, went out and did a, an inner city park ministry. And, uh, I remember the pastor scared me to death and he comes up to me and says, now listen, uh, you know, don't mouth off, talk trash, because I played basketball at that time and I played all over the place and, you know, kind of running your mouth is a part of the game. And, uh, he says, don't do that in the park. There's gangs there. And when we went to minister in the park, they were. We were ministering with teens, but these teens were just, they were tough-looking fellows, okay? And I, I lived in a little bit of that, the fear of physical violence. At any time, these guys could, you know, attack me and, hey, that's that word. That's an example of phobia. It is a fear of physical violence. There's a threat out there. There's a force out there that is going to do me bodily harm, okay? Physical violence. Another example of this word 
uh, fear has to do with supernatural events, and I want you to look at this as well. I want you to turn back just a couple pages, uh, or actually be forward a couple pages, to Mark chapter 4. I want to give you two examples of this, because it's really interesting to me that uh, there is fear that's directly associated with this word uh, in, in, in the Bible in terms of supernatural events. There are supernatural events that take place, and because of those supernatural event, events, it strikes fear uh, into the audience. In chapter 4, verse 41, um, picking up around uh, verse 39, and of course, this whole deal is Jesus calming the storm where he's out on the uh, lake and, and uh, the disciples are scared to death and, hey, we're going to drown and verse 39, he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why were you so afraid? <laughs> why were you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. Not only in the waves, they were terrified of him. How did he do that? Okay. He stands up and he rebukes the winds and the waves and it and the disciples were scared to death. That is a fear of supernatural force. It's mentioned there in Mark chapter 4, verse 41, and also, if you don't want to turn, you don't have to, but it's in uh, Matthew chapter 9. This is a neat one. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 8, uh, this is the healing of the paralytic. I thought this was really interesting. In the midst of a scene, and it, it's a miracle, and Jesus is in the temple, and he's not, he's not yelling, he's not screaming, it's... In fact, you would think the reaction would be praise and glory and honor, but here's how it's, here's how it's uh, worded. Okay? Uh, Jesus, verse 4, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do, you, uh, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take up your mat and go home. The man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were feel, filled with, now my translation says awe, okay? You're fill, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given uh, such authority to men. But the connotation of that passage is they're doubting Jesus, they're, they're frustrated with Jesus, they don't, hey, he, he, he is talking about forgiving sin. That word there is phobia, okay? There's a fear that's associated with, wow, how did he do that? Okay? So this word phobia is used in terms of fear of physical force and fear of supernatural events. Now here's where it would apply to my life um, probably mostly. And it's in uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 32. you realize that there's a fear of relationships? You, know, you can have a fear of relationships, a fear of intimacy, fear of opening up to someone, fear of talking to them. I found it really interesting on this. Uh, in chapter 9, verse 32, uh, Jesus uh, has talked to the disciples and they're scared to respond to him. Listen to this. And we'll look at, uh, pick it up at verse um, 30. They left that place and passed through Galilee and Jesus did not want anyone to know where uh, they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. After three days he will rise. But they did, now get this, but they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Now the commentators suggest there's a couple different things. Now I lean towards they're afraid to ask him about it because of, his, of, their, of their fear of how he's going to respond. You should know this because he's been talking about that. 
Okay? There, it, it's a fear of how someone is going to respond. You ever felt like that? Uh, I, have a, I have a fear, uh, and you might think this is a little bit odd, but I have a fear uh, with my son. Uh, living on the road, traveling as an itinerant evangelist. I have all kinds of fear. What if my son grows up to hate the church? Uh, it's so difficult. And again, you, you have a phenomenal pastoral family here. And of course, uh, they're wonderful. I have heard, and I'm sure this is not the case with them, but I've heard over and over and over uh, of, of kids that are you know, PKs raised up in the church and they just they can't stand the church because they've seen what the church has done to their family. Openly, how the church has just butchered mom and dad, and, and the difficulties. In fact, we just came not too, not too, uh, not too uh, long ago from a church who had underwent that kind of a deal, and the kids were bitter against that. Okay? I have, I have a natural fear of that kind of stuff. What if my son doesn't want to travel? Well, he didn't have a choice. But I mean, what if my son doesn't want to travel? What if he wants to go to school, like you know, a public school? Uh, what if he? What if my wife someday gets? gets tired of the road and says, hey, I want a house. Now, of course, she, there's no twisting of her arm on that, but that, that's a fear. It's a fear of relationships. See, what if, I, I, uh, when my wife and I got married, I didn't, uh, I never even thought that we would uh, be apart. I didn't marry my wife to leave my wife set at home so I could travel around the country for 50 weeks a year and see her, you know, once a week or, or maybe once or twice a month. And there's been evangelists who've done that. I didn't do that. I didn't marry my wife to leave her at home. Uh, we are one. We want to be together. And it's very rare when we're not together. And I, there's a fear. There's always this fear down inside of me that what would happen one day if my wife said, hey, I'm done with this. I want a normal life. I have a fear of where my son says, I can't stand this. You know, I can't wait till I leave the house. And he starts saying those kind of things. That's a fear of relationships. You know what I'm talking about? Phobia. It's something that's out there that impresses upon my life, whether that be a relationship. Those are the three basic ways that that word is used in the Bible. Whether that would be uh, an outside physical force, a threat of violence on my life, and that could be from a person, it could be from an animal. I mean, I could be on my fifth wheel and about ready to fall off. <laughs> there's a number of different scenarios with that. There's a, there's a relational type of fear, a fear of supernatural events. How do you want to talk about that? It's an outside force that makes my future uncertain. Okay? Now, John chapter 6. In our passage, oh, and this is neat, in our passage, the disciples are experiencing fear. This is so phenomenal. In our passage, the disciples are experiencing fear. Now, of course, they, uh, they get onto the lake. Uh, the, the feeding of the 5,000 has ended. And what has happened at the, toward the end of the first section in verses 12, 13, and 14, and 15, mainly 15, 14 and 15, you have the, in response to the feeding, you have the Galileans, because that's primarily who these people are. They see the miracle that Jesus has done, and they want to make him king by force. Okay? I mean, they've been following them around, and he has he said specifically in this gospel three times in chapter 2 and in chapter 4 and here that I don't want to be your king. The kind of king you're looking for is not the kind of king that I came to be. In fact, they and it says, if you look at, uh, look at it with me, in verse 14, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they begin to say, surely this is the prophet, and that is a messianic title, uh, a, a kingly title, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, because he wouldn't be their king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. 
So in this account, in response to them going to make him king, Jesus runs up the side of the mountain by himself. He leaves the disciples there. Now our passage picks up with the choices of the disciples. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off uh, across the lake for Capernaum. Now, there's no, there's no suggestion that there's a violent storm here. This is really interesting to me. There's no suggestion that there's a violent storm or that they're afraid of the water or the circumstances of the water. Their fear is a direct result of Jesus himself. Okay? In the other accounts, it, it actually says it in the passage that they think it's a ghost. I mean, that's not a normal occurrence when you're on the, you're on the lake and you see a guy actually walking across the water. Okay? That's what, hey, that, that's what they were afraid of. It says uh, at verse 18, a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they rode three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. That's our word. Okay, now, why are they terrified? That's not normal. It shouldn't take place. No man should be able to walk on the water out in the middle of the lake. They see Jesus approaching and they're scared to death of him. Okay? It is, it is, uh, it is one, it is in, in the usages... Uh, the usages. In the uses of that word in the New Testament, it probably falls in line with a, a fear of a supernatural event. A supernatural event has taken place and they're scared to death of it. And it's interesting, okay, knowing what the fear is, how Jesus, get this, how Jesus responds to their fear. He knows that they're in fear, they're experiencing that, and how Jesus responds to that fear. He looks at them and he says in verse 20, but he said to them, it is I... Do not be afraid. Okay? Uh, in the original language, uh, the imperative mood is the strongest grammatical phrase. Uh, the, 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 the imperative mood is the strongest grammar that we have for a command. There is no stronger language. This is the strongest language that, that could be placed in this passage. Jesus is absolutely commanding them. I'm telling you, do not be afraid. Now, here's what's neat. We know that do not be afraid is a command for them to perform an action, or it's a command for an action to take place. Now, we know that actions, we looked at this last night, actions can take place in the active and in the passive. Okay? It can take place in the active and the passive. If I were to give a command in the active to this gentleman, and I looked at him and I say, I command you in the strongest language that I can say, and I wouldn't really do that, but let's say I command you in the strongest language that I can come up with, hey, you put your leg down. That is an action that he will perform. Okay? Active voice. He's responsible for performing that. Now, that would, be the, uh, that would be an imperative active, or an active imperative. But that's not what is in our passage. It's very, very rare when you come across a passive imperative. A passive imperative is a command that's given to you in the strongest language that can be used for you not to do something, but to allow something to be done to you. Very rare. Jesus commands them, hey, don't be afraid, but it's not in the active, meaning that they're not the ones who's supposed to muster up, get their courage up, and not be afraid. That's not the deal. He is commanding them in the passive to not be afraid, which means I would come down there and put your leg down for you. I'm commanding you not to do it yourself. I'm commanding you to put your foot down, but don't do it. Let me do it. This is the language we find. It's a passive imperative, which is really rare in the New Testament. It is a command for something to be done, but they're not to do it. It's kind of neat. They're not responsible for getting over their fear. Because I've never been able to do that. 
Jesus could look at me all day and say, don't be afraid. I'm like, I'm afraid of not being afraid. <laughs> I'm trying not to be afraid. Hey, it's, he never looks at me. In fact, I found it interesting that I looked up this command, don't be afraid in the New Testament. Every time, <laughs> think about this, every time in the New Testament when God, Jesus, or an angel commands someone not to be afraid, it is always a passive imperative. Always. In our passage back in Matthew chapter 28 when the angel comes down and the men shook for fear and passed out and you have a bunch of Marys that are hanging around by the tomb, the angel is sitting there and they're looking at him and the angel says, don't be afraid. Passive imperative. They're not responsible for not being afraid. It's literally, I command you, let me come and take your fear. It's a passive imperative. Okay? So Jesus looks at them in our passage and in the strongest language, this is so phenomenal, in the strongest language that he can come up with, I'm commanding you, do not be afraid. In my life, this stretches me for a number of reasons. And the first reason is this. I've always kind of looked at Jesus as extremely involved in my life. He loves me. He cares for me. I mean, hey, anything that's going to get to me in my life has got to go through Jesus. That's biblical. We know that. But I've always kind of looked at Jesus as the big brother who's right there with me. And hey, he's available. He'll do anything, any, hey, any, any task that's asked of him, he'll be there. But you've got to ask him. In other words, when I'm experiencing something and there's an outside force in my life and I'm absolutely afraid, it's my responsibility to say, Jesus, could use your help. That's the way I've always kind of looked at it. I'm absolutely scared to death of whatever's taking place in my life and it's my responsibility as a Christian to say, hey, I need you. That is not consistent, not only with this passage, but it's not consistent with any passage in the New Testament concerning fear. Do you realize that this statement is so strong that what's taking place or what's presented here is that when the disciples are experiencing fear or those in the New Testament, when they experience fear, they're not the ones who call upon Jesus. Jesus firmly plants himself right smack dab in the middle of them whether they want to or not. He points his finger and he's, he's what would be a good way? He's overbearing. You ever met anybody who's overbearing? There's a number of overbearing uh, kind of levels. One level is the person who stands too close to you when they talk. You ever met someone like that? They come up, shake your hand, and they're like, hi. And you're like, hello. I sent you. Which I, have a, I always do this. I leave one foot forward, and I go, oh. So they have to climb up your leg in order to get close to you. Okay? okay? It's an overbearing person. They're just, you're kind of like, hey, I'm here. Back off a little bit. That's Jesus. He's not a passive guy just sitting on the sidelines going, if you need me, I'll be there. That's not the case. In the moment, get this, this is phenomenal. In the moment you're experiencing fear, Jesus crawls right smack dab in the middle of that situation, takes his finger and jams it in your face and says, hey, you guys paying attention in the front row? Sure you are. He takes his finger and he sticks it right in the middle of their face and says, listen to me, I'm being overbearing with you. You get me into this situation right now. In the strongest language that he can muster, I, it's a command. I'm telling you, you don't have a choice in this. I'm sticking my... Hey, you, I'm talking to you, disciples. Get me in the middle of the situation right now and let me take care of that fear. And the command was so strong, the command was so strong with that, that to not respond to that would be sin. Okay? So Jesus is not hanging on the outskirts. And when I'm experiencing fear, he's not saying, boy, I wonder if he's going to ask me. He is getting right down in the middle of my business, pointing his finger in my face and saying, hey, 
get me in the middle of this. We went through a time. Oh, I'll tell you what this means to me. We went through a time uh, when my wife got on the road uh, right after CJ was born. And I don't know how most guys are, but I'm, I'm not a fly solo kind of guy. Um, when my wife's not with me, I don't function well. And it doesn't have to do with I can't cook for myself or I can't do my own laundry. I'm a fully functioning male. Okay, Hey, as a Marine, I can take care of myself. But it's just, I operate better when that woman's with me. Okay, the woman's with me. And I remember after my wife uh, uh, had CJ, of course, uh, you know, she couldn't, I, I wasn't like, well, get off the table, let's go, next revival. <laughs> it wasn't that kind of a thing. She had to relax, and there was recuperation, and doctor visits, and, and, and the baby has to be at the doctor at first, like, I think it was the first month every week, and then every two weeks, and, and I had people telling me at churches, hey, brace yourself, your wife's not going to want you back on the road. That scared me to death. That scared me to death. And to look back on that situation, I remember praying about that and saying, hey, are you hearing this? And, hey, what are you going to do about this? And See, to take that situation, if you could do this in wherever area of your life you're having fear, to take that situation and realize now that Jesus was coming right down in my fifth wheel and taking his finger and slamming it in my forehead and saying, listen here, boy, don't, you, hey, don't get wired up. And our bodies weren't meant for fear. You were never meant to stress out or live in fear. Do you realize that? You never were meant for that. That's where ulcers come from. That's your body yelling at you. Relax. <laughs> Trust in Jesus. That's what your body says to you. You were never built to worry. Jesus says, don't worry, man. Don't sweat it. Don't fear. And it's not a casual thing for him. He's pointing his finger and saying, I'm commanding you in the strongest language that I can muster. Do not fear. Okay? Number one. What's fear? It's an outside force, whatever that may be, that makes my future uncertain, that causes anxiety, that can cause terror, it can cause me to flee. It, the word is fear, phobia. Okay? That's what phobia is. When I'm experiencing that, Jesus' response to that, thank the Lord, Jesus' response to that is he comes down in my life in an aggressive, overbearing manner, just close to my face, with his finger in my face saying, Hey, young man, I'm commanding you in the strongest language that I have to get me in the middle of this situation. Now, there are two responses to that. Fear, Jesus' response to our fear, and our response to Jesus' response to our fear. Okay? Once Jesus points his finger in my face, I have one of two responses. I want to look at that with you. The first response that you can have is not release control to him. It's the first response you can do. Um, it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not released to him the situation. Okay? It's not to say, I trust you. In fact, it's interesting, and again, I just said this, uh, the passage is so clear on this, that the only alternative you have, this is crucial, the only alternative you have when you're experiencing fear, okay, if you're not to embrace him, is sin. This is, this is really interesting. This passage really shook me. I want you to look at, last one I'll have you look at, well, it's not true, two of them. Mark chapter 11 this is incredible. Mark chapter 11 uh, is the first one, and the next one will be in John. In Mark chapter 11, what you have at verse, uh, around verse 18, you have the leadership of Israel who are experiencing fear. Okay? Look at this. In Mark chapter 11, you have the leadership of Israel who are experiencing fear of Jesus and because of what he's doing. And because they do not embrace Jesus, because they do not release their fear and embrace Him, it leads to sin. Look at this. 
This is really interesting. Uh, verse 18. This is right in response to Jesus saying, my house will be called a house of prayer uh, for all nations. That's when he's you know, turning over the temple tables. Verse 18. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began to looking for a way to kill him. Why were they looking for a way to kill him? For they feared him. You realize when you're experiencing fear, this is so plain, when you're experiencing fear in your life, you're facing something that's beyond you, that makes your future uncertain, you do not release that to him. If he comes down and says, hey, I'm bigger than this, trust in me, release this to me, and you don't, hey, you don't surrender fear when he's standing in your face and commanding you, the only other response you have to that, other than releasing it to him, is saying no, and taking control of it yourself. And every time you do that, in your inadequacy, it will lead to sin. For them, it was killing him. And that's, that's in Mark in response to the deal in the temple. But if you would look with me, last one, in uh, John chapter 11, this is in response to uh, the plot to kill Jesus because of the healing of Lazarus. This is fantastic. Jesus, you know the scene, uh, he's out with his disciples, and his, 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 the one he loves, Lazarus, is dying. Mary sends word, says, hey, uh, or maybe it was Martha, one of the two, said, hey, the one you love is dying, come quick. Well, Jesus fiddles around for four days, and he dies. But he finally shows up. He walks up to the tomb and says, Hey, Lazarus, get out of here. And the man comes out. It's fantastic. There's a couple of different responses to this. Okay, Everybody's in awe. A couple of different responses. Some people trust him. Some people put their faith in him. And others run back to the leadership of Israel because they're scared to death. You can just, look, if you, when we read this, just kind of notice there's fear all over this passage. Verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. The chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take both our place and our nation. What are they scared of? Hey, if this guy goes, keeps going on like he's going to go on, everybody's going to declare him king, and the Romans are going to come, and they're going to take our nation, take our temple. Hey, they're going to come down on us. Verse 49. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize it is best for you that one man die for the people than that of the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jews, uh, Jewish nation. And not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, instead of embracing Jesus, they plotted to take his life. Uh, I don't know what that means to you, but here's exactly what it means to me. See, every time I go to operate out of my own resource, and I am, I am, I'm confronted with something that hey, I, makes my future uncertain, hey, there's fear that's rising up in me, I'm presented with two options. First option is, hey, I can rebel against Jesus. I cannot trust him. And I say, hey, I don't trust you with this. This has got to get done my way. I've got to make sure. I've got to, this has got to happen. And I can take control of it myself. And that always leads to sin. I don't know how you are with your wives, but I come from a, I come from a Mormon background, which, man, that, that, was, that influenced me more than I realized. My father was a very manipulating and controlling person. Uh, my wife didn't, uh, my wife, his wife, my mother, didn't really have opinions. Uh, he controlled her. He manipulated her. And uh, that got 
Christianized in my life. And I was a very, at the beginning of our marriage, I was a very controlling person on my wife. In every sense of the word. I was going to make sure she was going to be the kind of person that she was supposed to be. I remember that I'd, <laughs> and this is so pig-headed maleness, I'd follow her around and, and, uh, I remember when we were first married, uh, she'd be on the phone or something and talking with her sister and after she got off the phone, I'd be like, you know, honey, that could be seen as gossip. Come on, let me pray with you. Let me, let me help you with this. Come on, let's pray about this. Let me help you. Spiritual leader of my home. See, there's that kind of, and that just spins out of control in every area of your life. There's one, see, there's, see, that's a, over against saying, hey, I'm just going to give this woman to him. And releasing her to him. It's control. And every time I tried to control my wife and make her grow at my pace, you ever do that to your wife? Make her grow at your pace. Make her think the way you think, which is the correct way to think. Okay? Make her do this. That leads to sin. That leads to sin. I'm afraid to just let her do what she wants, no telling what the woman will do, so I'm just going to put parameters and structures. That's, a, that's an issue, and I don't know if it's an issue in your life. I see a lot of heads bobbing. Uh, that was an issue in my life. Okay, Fear of control. Every time, every time that I'm confronted with fear, Jesus is in my face, the Scripture says, you don't have to, you don't have to ask him. He is, he is overbearing on this sticking his finger in your forehead and saying, hey, you get me in this. If you don't get him in the midst of that, if you don't respond to that and release that to him, the only other alternative is taking control of yourself and it leads to sin. Now, the scholars say, and again, some of this we got from, uh, uh, it's just so widespread, obvious, everyone talks about this. Uh, we got it from some commentators. That the Christian response to fear is faith. And I learned something really interesting about the word faith. Faith is not a Christian term. That's what faith means. Faith means literally to invoke a second party. It's not a Christian term. It means to invoke a second party. For instance, after the service, one husband's going to be really upset with me. Okay? He's going to... He's thinking, I'm going to lay hands on him, pray with him after the service, and I'll wait on the parking lot. Ah! But I invoke a second party. My brother, who's big. Okay? Okay? He's six foot four, 240, kind of... I'm going to invoke, I'm going to put my faith in him. So when I go outside and this man approaches to me, I will invoke the second party and he'll handle this fellow for me. Not a Christian term, invoking a second party. So what the word faith is. I have faith in the second party. That's what the word is. The Christian response to fear is faith, but it's not faith in something, it's faith in him. Do you realize you can have faith in credit cards? You can have faith in uh, talent and ability. You can have faith in a lot of things that can take the form of the right thing. But the response to fear of an outside force that's pressing in upon you, the, the Christian response is faith in the person. It's invoking the second party. It's looking to him and saying, Jesus, I invite you down in the middle of this mess that I call life. Come down in the middle of my life and take care of this situation. In the middle of my fear. In the middle of my life on the road and, the, and sometimes the finances or, or a truck that breaks down. And that just... See, that stuff shouldn't eat me up, but that eats me up inside. And we're cruising down the road, and it's late at night, and, and we're on the freeway, and my, my truck breaks down, or a flat on the fifth wheel, and, and it doesn't even have to happen. It's the, it's the possibility of it happening. Eats me up, because then I'm on the side of the road with a wife and a child. 
Those kind of things just absolutely eat me up. And what he's telling me in this passage, and Jeremiah, I mean, aggressively in my face, I'm commanding you in the strongest language that I can come up with. You get me in the middle of this situation right now. You are not to even think about handling this thing on your own. Release that thing to me. And in the midst of fear, in the midst of sensing that, in the midst of experiencing that, my first response is, hey, I trust you with this. I release this into your hands. I'm not going to try to control it. I'm not going to try to manipulate it. Hey, I'm not going to try to bend things to work the way that I want, uh, want the way that I want them to work. I'm going to release this to you. I'm going to trust you in this. Greek word faith is used 98 times in John's Gospel. It's translated belief, trust, uh, entrust. Uh, it's used in several different ways. It's a major theme. It's literally the Christian life is just releasing and trusting in Him. I release you. I release to you this issue. Fear. I want to ask you, where are you experiencing fear? What outside force is pressing in on your life? What relational, what physical, financial? Um, December is always a hard month for us financially. And uh, I mean, we don't know why no one wants to have revival on Christmas. But hey, you know, it's always a difficult month. Have a few weeks off. No paychecks coming in. Uh, we had a number of breakdowns in the beginning of January and two cancellations. And it was tight, real tight. And uh, this was in the middle of me studying this passage. And the whole time, the whole time I was dealing with this passage, and that's what's so phenomenal about saturation Bible study, you know, Gnosis going on, Gnosis going on the Lord, is he takes the word and he bends your circumstances to teach you about him. He bends the circumstances of your life to teach you. And right in the middle of this study, this passage, we're right in the middle of January, and I'm telling my wife this, and I'm stressing out, and she's saying, just trust him, just trust him. And uh, I released that whole situation to him, and on our way up, beginning of February into Portland, our, tran- uh, our injector pump went out on our truck, which was like two grand, and I was just, oh, you know. At that point, I had to trust him because I was broke. <laughs> and uh, we had a gentleman approach us at a revival out of the blue. I didn't send emails. I didn't beg. I didn't talk about it. And he just, uh, he paid off our truck. Gave us $9,000 on that deal. Uh, be quite frank with you, the big deal is not about the money. It's already spent, it's gone. <laughs> it's here one day and gone the next. The issue is, is I can trust him. Uh, I will not fret on that. I will not stress out on that. I will not lose sleep on that. Because I trust him. I'm going to release to him fear. And I, and I thought I was the only one living like this. I am absolutely... I was amazed when I began to share this with friends and pastors, how many pastors live in fear. Just gnaw them up over things. And in the Christian life and those who are serving Jesus, how oftentimes we just, things eat at, whether we go from one's perspective of, of retirement to the, the church health to a, a son or daughter or what have you. What would happen if in your area tonight, whatever area of your life tonight, where you're struggling and you're, 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 you're feeling the force of something that's pressing in upon you and you have no idea how it's going to turn out, 
Let me give you a picture. Jesus is standing right in the middle of your living room with his, with his hands on his hips, one, and the other hand is pointing right at you. And in the most aggressive language that he has, he's saying, I'm telling you, I'm commanding you. And the only alternative you have, other than accepting my command, is rebelling and sinning against me. Because I'm commanding you, in the name of Jesus, I'm commanding you to get me right in the middle of this situation and release it to me. Hey, don't stress on this. Bring me right smack dab in the middle of this situation. Hey, let me take that fear from you. You're never meant to live like that. Fear. Jesus. This passage just absolutely turned me upside down. Because I've lived in fear all my life. I'm 6'4", 220. I'm in shape. I'm not supposed to be a wimp. I'm not supposed to be in fear. I'm not supposed to be afraid. Perhaps I still see myself as a 5'8 110-pound high school student who's living in fear, has ulcers. Just constant. You are so good to me. I thank you for standing in the middle of my fifth wheel and pointing your finger in my face and saying, I love you way too much. I'm commanding you, Jeremiah. You get me in the middle of this situation right now. You let me come and take that fear from you. I don't want you sweating over this, man. I don't want you sweating over this. I don't want you stressing over this. I don't want this eating you up inside. I, want, I don't want this tearing you up. I want you to release this to me. Hey, your, your resource can't pull this off, Jeremiah. Let me flow in the middle of this situation and meet your need. I want to invite you uh, into my, my marriage like that, Jesus. Because I can't control my life. I can't control my wife. I can't control my son. I can't control the circumstances that are around me. It's just going to produce death. I'm, I'm under the impression that anything I put my hands to, out of my own strength, out of the flesh, and my own abilities, produces death. I just want to release that circumstance to you. Jesus, I wonder if there are those who, who live in fear that are here tonight, that are up against circumstances that are beyond them, and they have no idea what they're going to do. Would you stand in front of them tonight and point your finger at them so they can't not possibly miss it? And command them in the strongest language that you can come up with. You get me in the middle of this situation right now. Release this to me. I love you way too much to let you go through on this. go through this on your own. Hey, you can't pull this off, but I can. You can't meet the need, but I can. You can't see a way through it, but I can. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I wonder tonight, is there anybody here that just... You're tired of living in fear? You're tired of mauling over the same circumstances? You're tired of just worry-warting about stuff? <laughs> I come from a long line of worry-warts, my mom calls us. Just agitating over stuff. Just inside turmoil all the time. I, just, I don't want to live like that. I'm, I'm tired of living like that. I just want to live a, in, a, in a state of constant and continual response to Him. No matter what circumstance comes in my life that's going to overwhelm me, that's bigger than I am, I'm just going to release it to Him. 
I'm just going to respond because he's not a he's not a casual guy that's sitting on the sidelines that's saying, "Hey Jeremiah, if you want to invite me in on this, I'm here." No, he's aggressive. He's overbearing. Anybody need to respond to that time? I do. That's been the story of my life over the last year. We're going to have a time of prayer and just want to give you the opportunity to respond. He's so good. Isn't that phenomenal? Every time in the New Testament, when God commands us not to fear in a strong imperative language, an imperative mood, it's never something we have to muster up. It's a command that you get me in the middle of this, let me take your fear. You don't have to live like this. You're not going to go through this on your own. Hey, I'm going to fight this one for you. I want, I want to give myself to that. We're going to pray just for a time and, and just speak on this. And I just, there's a whole load, truckload of things that I just want to release to him continually and perpetually live in a constant state of releasing in faith. And in a few moments when it's time, Pastor's going to come and he's going to come and dismiss us. Jesus, we thank you for the truth of your word tonight.